what was on there. Uh, there was some information about Angel Tree on there, uh, nothing that you can wait until next week. Uh, we're in our sermon series, we're in our sermon series of uh, After God's Own Heart, so that's been really good, and we're going to continue today. We're going to talk about contending, we're going to talk about contending for the fullness of God, and so uh, we began this next week, and we're going to uh, continue this week, uh, part two, if you will. And so what does it mean that we contend for the fullness of God? What does that look like in our life? What does it mean to contend for the fullness of God? How many of you know that we will not accidentally lay hold of what God has for our life? It's not just going to happen by and by. It's not just going to happen on accident. It, we've got to be intentional about it. We have to intentionally look to lay hold of the fullness of what God has for our life. Amen? Amen. And so what does it mean to contend? And what does the fullness of God look like? And so in David's day, we knew that uh, the, the fullness of God was military conquest. In David's day, as we read through the Bible, we see that the fullness of God was military conquest. And David came and he fully took the promised land, the the land that God had promised them. David fully took that. And that was the fullness of God in his day. In the, in the day of the apostles, the fullness was miracle signs and wonders. And they saw that. We know what the fullness was in their day. And so what is the fullness of God in our day? What is the fullness of God for today? What is the fullness of God for the church at large for today? What is the fullness of God for redeeming love for this hour? And what is the fullness of God for me, for my life? What does it look like in the 21st century to have the, to walk in the fullness of God? And so as we ask these questions and we understand what God is doing in this day and in this hour and we begin to partner with him, we'll see those things come to pass. It'll give us a heart to contend for the fullness of God in our life. Listen, I am, I am done with settling for second best. I'm done with it. I want to see the fullness of God. And so what does that mean? We, we began to talk about this last week. We're going to talk about it more uh, this week. Let me, just, let me just throw this in there. There is no fullness. You cannot have the fullness of God apart from intimacy with him. I'm going to say that again because this is probably the most important thing we're going to say today. You cannot have the fullness of God apart from intimacy with Jesus. You cannot have the fullness of God apart from intimacy with Jesus. And so what am I saying? I mean, you know, we say these things and we're like, how do I process that? And so if we understand that in the apostles' day, the fullness of God was miracle signs and wonders, and Jesus said that this would continue to the end of the age. And so we, as Christians in the 21st century, preparing for the great end time harvest, knowing from what we read in Revelation that we will most likely see a large outpouring of miracle signs and wonders in our day, God will not allow us to walk in that dimension of fullness aside from knowing him. Okay? If we're going to walk in all that God has for us, all power corrupts and ultimate power corrupts ultimately, right? And so we were talking about this in, in, the, in the pastor's office. We have the authority, we have the excusia, and we have the power. We have the dunamis, 
right? We have right to that. Hang on, I gotta adjust this here. This is my my clip moved with all that worship. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. We have the 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 authority, the Greek is excusia, and we have the power, the dunamis. We have the right to the power. But aside from intimacy, Jesus doesn't pour out his power. Why? Because power corrupts, and ultimate power corrupts ultimately. And so when we begin to move in power, apart from intimacy with Jesus, apart from revelation or relationship with Jesus, we begin to be, we, can be, we, whoop, we begin to get a big head, and we think, it's all about me. Look what I did. Look what I brought. Listen, you haven't healed anybody. Jesus healed them all. You haven't saved anybody. Jesus healed them all. We partner with him, and he does the awesome work. But we get to partner with him and see the awesome work happen. And how many of you know that Jesus won't bring the awesome work aside from us? I mean, he does occasionally, rarely, but more often than not, he want, it's a co-mission. We're doing this together. Whew, that's good. All right. Glory to God. Slide two. I'm not working here. There we go. Beloved, when I was very, I was, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. We need to contend for the faith. We need to, we need to uh, fight against distraction. One of, the, one of the things is that we fight against distraction. We fight against those things that resist us from contending for the faith. We have to actively work towards this or we'll not get there. We'll not get there. We'll not walk in the fullness of faith. We're, we're, we're designed. God wants us to walk in the fullness of faith. But if we're not going to contend for it, we won't get there. We will not accidentally lay hold of all that God has for us. Amen. Number three, uh, sli slide three, number three. I'm, I'm about, just bear with me for a moment. Let me pray. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your, your word. We thank you for your spirit here among us, Lord. And God, we just give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the scripture that we got stuck on last week. And that was good. That was good. How many of you know that it's not that hard to share your faith? It's not that hard. And I love that word that you shared, Sue. Uh, it is supernatural not to think of ourselves. It is only when we engage with Jesus, engage God, engage church, engage culture. It's only when we engage with Jesus that we're going to stop thinking about ourselves. How many times, how many of us were consumed with ourselves in our thought life. Where am I going to live? What am I going to wear? What am I going to drink? What am I going to eat? What did so-and-so think about me? We're consumed with me. And what did Jesus say? He said, whoever desires to follow me, come after me, be my disciple, must pick up his cross and die daily. Get rid of selfishness in your life. It's not about you. And when we supernaturally stop thinking about ourselves, we will immediately begin to start thinking about other people. It's an absolutely immediate response. The moment you stop thinking about yourself, you immediately start thinking about others. What can I do? 
What am I going to wear? Where, who can I give these clothes to? You know, we all have clothes that we give to, you know, we, we get done wearing them and they're still good. We give them to Salvation Army. Who can I give these clothes to? Who can I, who can I bless? Who needs food? Who needs to be invited over for Thanksgiving dinner? We've got, we, we, we did a quick list. I think we're over 20 people invited to our house for Thanksgiving dinner. That includes the six of us, but still. Uh, we don't have room for that, so. <laughs> But I don't want anybody to be able to come. The table will be the right size. We'll have enough turkey. We'll have enough turkey. We've got to, we'll, we'll get an extra turkey. Well, I, I really don't want to move the Thanksgiving dinner to the church. That wouldn't be fun. <laughs> could do that. It's plan, that's plan C. <laughs> it's plan C. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we know that the fullness of God in our day is that everyone come to know Christ. And so we talked about this quite a bit last week. If you're walking down the street and you see a living, breathing human being, you know that it's God's will that they be saved. End of discussion. End of discussion. All right, I'm going to just keep moving so I don't get in trouble. <laughs> Come on, we got to get through some stuff. We, we spent a long time there last week. It's good. Go, go back. Get the tape. They don't have tapes anymore. We don't even do CDs anymore. Listen to the podcast. Man, i got to catch up. I'm so used to saying, get the tape. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean to see the fullness of God today? Jesus prayed these words. Jesus said that we should pray like this. And this is the fullness of God for today. The fullness of God for today is that heaven would come to earth. That what we are walking out and what we are seeing on earth would look like heaven. Your kingdom come. God, your kingdom come here on earth. God, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, as it is in heaven, as it is in heaven, as it is in heaven. The centurion came to Jesus and said, listen, you need to pray for my servant because he's sick. And Jesus said, yeah, I'll come to your house at once. And he said, no, but just pray. For I know that you are a man under a, of authority, and I, like you, am a man under authority. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and I say to this one, come, and he comes, but only say the word, and he shall be healed. And Jesus turned around, and he said, he said, such great faith, such great faith. Jesus marveled at what he said, and he and, and responded and said, such great faith I have not seen, not even in all of Israel. Listen, I've, I've visited, I've seen tens of thousands of Jewish people at this point, and I haven't found one of them that's got the faith of this Gentile, of this believing unbeliever. This guy's got faith. This guy understands authority. This guy understands how kingdom works. And so Jesus spoke the word, and he was, the Bible tells us that he was healed from that very hour. He was healed from that very hour. Jesus spoke the word, he was healed. This is kingdom. This is what the king, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does the kingdom of heaven look like? What does the kingdom of heaven look like? Fullness of joy. 
fullness of joy? Are we walking in the fullness of joy? What does the kingdom of heaven look like? No more sickness, no more disease. What does the kingdom of heaven look like? God's will done at every turn. God's will done at every turn. God's will done at every turn. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. It's right within grasp. You can grasp a hold of the kingdom of God and begin to walk in it right now. And the disciples had this issue. They kept having trouble to, uh, dis, uh, to, to tell the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men. Right? And so what did the disciples say? Book of Acts, chapter 2, Jesus teaches, chapter 1. Jesus teaches them for 40 days on the kingdom. And what do they say? Jesus, will the Father at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Right? They kept looking for the natural kingdom to be restored. They kept looking for this natural kingdom to be restored. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And when he was questioned by Pilate, are you a king? Yes. And then Jesus said, but my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my disciples would fight. But now my kingdom is not from here. What does that mean? Here we go. Mystery. Mystery. That's something we have to unpack. I ain't got time for that today. We're going to have to take a sermon series to understand what it means that the kingdom is not from here. But what we need to understand is that there is a spiritual dimension all around us that we walk in every single day. There is a spiritual dimension all around us that we walk in every single day. And that is the kingdom of God. That is where the kingdom of God, that is where Jesus has given us authority over all spirit, over everything in the spiritual realm. That all authority has been given to me, Jesus said. All authority, all authority, all authority, everything. There's nothing where we don't have authority. This can get like crazy, head, prideful, but really we walk in all authority. And we need to learn to walk in all authority, and we cannot do that aside from intimacy with God, aside from being a man and a woman after God's own heart, aside from fully entering into this relationship with Jesus and chasing him down, chasing him down, contending for the fullness in our day. Am I walking and seeing the kingdom of heaven on earth? I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. Not to the fullest dimension that I believe that we should. And so I'm going to set myself. I have set myself. And I will contend for the kingdom. I will contend for the kingdom to come. I'm not satisfied with things as they are. I'm not satisfied. I want more of God. I want more of the Holy Spirit poured out in my life in a new and a greater dimension. More of the Holy Spirit poured out in my life. And how do I get there? You know, it's the same deal. We'll talk about how to get there. Mike Bickle says this in the book, and I, and I wrote this down. He says, start praying, start fasting, really press in. And in 10 years, you'll be amazed at what your life looks like. Really? 10 years? Really? Young people are like, oh my God, that's so long. Old people are like, oh my gosh, that's so long. God takes, God takes a lifetime to build a man. God came and anointed David. We've been reading a lot about David. Uh, After God's Own Heart is a book about 
the life of David. David was the man in the Bible whom God referred to as a man after his own heart. God came, God sent the prophet to anoint David king over Israel, and he had to wait, and he had to walk it out for between 12 to 20 years before he actually took the office that God had anointed him for. God could come and, and anoint you and lay his hand on you and say, I, this is the plan that I have for your life. This is the plan that I have for your life. And then 20 years from now, you'll step into the fullness of that calling. I agree with Mike. Mike Bickle from the book. I agree. Start praying. Start fasting. Really start pressing into God. And in 10 years, we laugh. We're, we're really offended by it. Well, we are. We're, we're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. If it's, I don't know. Right? We're like, 10 years is a long time. I don't know if I can wait. What's the other option? There, the, the one option is fast and pray and press in, and you'll get a hold of God. You'll see his kingdom come in your life. What's the other option? To not have God's kingdom come in your life. You, you fast and pray and press into God. You'll see the joy. You'll see the peace. You'll see the power. You'll see the anointing. You'll see all the things that God promised you. Every promise that's in the book, every promise that's in the Bible will be yours. You'll be walking in them. Maybe not all of them in 10 years. Maybe some of them will take 20. But you'll be walking in what God has for you. You'll be walking in the promises that have been promised to you. What's the other option? To not walk in the promises. To not have joy. To not have peace. There's only one option for me. There's only one option. There's only one option. Romans says that all of creation groans for the children of God to be revealed. All of creation is groaning for you and I as sons and daughters of God to be revealed, that we would take our rightful place with the authority that God has given us, that a city would be saved, that people would be saved, that lives would be changed, that the love of God would be displayed. What does God want more than anything? I believe it's 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God desires that all men would be saved. Everyone. Everyone. Now we know from Matthew 7, 21, it says, wide is the gate and broad is the path that enters into uh, hell, and many are they that enter through it. So we know that everybody's not going to make it, but it's God's will that everybody go to heaven. It is God's will. And so we just preach the gospel. We just preach the gospel to what, is, what does John 3.16 say? To whomsoever. Right? Too often we get caught up on, um, what's the word? Calvinism. What's that thinking? Uh, predestination. Too often we get caught up on predestination, right? Well, if God wills that they be saved, then they will be saved. No, God wills that everyone is saved. Well, God, if God has predestined them to be saved, then, then, then God will save them. Okay, but God told me to go and preach the gospel to the lost. We were caught up on this again from last week. God told me, told me to go and preach the gospel to the lost. 
but he didn't tell me who's predestined. So until he tells me who's predestined, I'm going to preach to whomsoever. Come on. This is the way it is. God hasn't revealed to me. When I, when I can walk down the street and I see somebody and God says, yep, I've, destined, I've predestined him for, and listen, don't get caught up on predestined. I don't even want to, I sh- I'm sorry that I even mentioned the word, but don't get caught up on it. I predestined to him to go to heaven. Go talk to him. Well, what about this guy over here? No, predestination is not like that. I don't believe that that's God. Predestined is more like God knows the end from the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. What this means is that when the gun goes off at the starting line, God knows who's going to win at the finish line. And so God knows the end from the beginning. It's not that he picked out who's going to be saved and left the rest. God said, I want you all to be saved, as we see in 2 Peter 3.9. I want you all to be saved, but he knows who's going to choose us. He knows who's, I'm sorry, he knows who's going to choose him. All right, we're going to move on. Kingdom of heaven. Are we seeing the kingdom of heaven in our lives? In our lives. Matthew 9, 14 through 15, it says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. And then they will fast. And then they will fast. And so in the previous, in the previous uh, slide, I talked about how Mike Bickle said that, you know, pray and fast. You know, there are certain levels of the kingdom that we can only enter into through fasting. And some of us here, we've talked about fasting a lot. Some of us here are well aware of fasting, what fasting is. You know, there's the Daniel's fast, the water fast, the... Uh, uh, Esther fast. There's all these different fasts, and all of those fasts are all about what you give up, right? You can fast TV, you can fast media, you can fast movies, you can fast reading books, you can fast. You can give up anything that you know you can think of in order to spend more time with God. But the bridegroom fast is different in the fact that it's not about what you give up, although you should still give something up. It's about what are you going after? What's the target of your fast? Right? The bridegroom fast is not about the food that you eat or, or the, the things that you drink. For the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. The bridegroom fast is about what are you going after? What are you fasting for? I'm fasting for the fullness of God. I'm fasting that I might know the bridegroom. I'm fasting that I would know Jesus on a deeper level. This is the bridegroom fast. When the disciples walked the earth with Jesus, they had no need to fast. They couldn't get any more of a fuller revelation than to be with him in the flesh. But the days will come when the bridegroom, when Jesus will be taken away, and then they will fast. And they fasted, and we fast. And why why do we fast? We fast because we want more of Jesus in our life. We fast because we want to enter into this level of intimacy. Not that we get the reward. Not that we get miracles, signs, and wonders. Listen, I'm running after the Lord with my whole heart. I've I've sought to seek him fully with my whole thing. And if I never see the miracles, if I never see miracles, signs, and wonders, if, if, if none of that ever happens, I don't care. I just want more of Jesus. 
I just want more. I just want to enter into the fullness of who he is. And from that place of knowing, we will go and things will happen in the spiritual. Matthew 17, 14 through 21. I want to read this little clip to you. It said, when they had come to the multitude, a man carrying... A man came to him, Jesus, kneeling down to Jesus and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could, we not, why could we not cast him out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here and it will, be, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. In verse 21, However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. For those of you that are reading the NIV, that, script, that, that, that line's not there. Matthew 17, 21 is, is not there. That's the nearly inaccurate version. And so <laughs> they took it out because it's not in all of the manuscripts, but it's in some. And so we believe that this is, this is real and this is true. And it's also caught up, the same story, the same line is, is, is spoken of in the, in the Gospel of Luke. However, this kind does not go out except through prayer and fasting. And so sometimes there are levels of the kingdom that we can only enter into through prayer and fasting. And we talked about, okay, set yourself, pray and fast for 10 years and then see what happens. And far too often, we wait until there's a, a desperate situation in our life. We wait until there's a need for a miracle. And then we, seek, then we, then we set ourselves to seek God seriously. But this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. Jesus had prepared himself for the moment years ahead of time. Yeah. Years ahead of time. Why could the disciples not do it? Because they hadn't been doing it long enough. They hadn't entered into the level that they needed to to do this. Psalm 132 says this. It says, Lord, remember David and all of his afflictions how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a resting place for the Lord, a dwelling one for the mighty one of Jacob. A dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Lord, remember David in all of the terrible things that happened to him. And remember his commitment to contend for the things of God. How he vowed, how he swore to the Lord, I will not give sleep to my, sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a resting place for the Lord. This is really extreme. Do I think that it was literal? I, don't, I really probably don't think that it was probably literal. I don't think that it was really literal. I don't think he was saying, I am not going to sleep until, I, until it's done. But I, what I think he's saying here is that I will not give myself to any other thing 
There is one, because we've read this, Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I desired, that will I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. I've got one passion. I've got one thing that I want to see come, God. I want to see you have a dwelling place. I want to see you. I want to see a city, a city. I want to see Jerusalem, your city. I want to see it on fire for God, the whole city contending for you, knowing you. And from that place of knowing you, we will go and we will take, and we will take all of the kingdoms of the world. God, we'll take everything that you have for us. And it happened in David's day. As David set the Ark of the Covenant and he sent ministers all around it to minister before the Ark of the Lord, kingdoms of the world fell at the military feet of David. Kings of the world, the king of Tyre. It says that the king of Tyre sent uh, carpenters and masons to build a mansion for David. Why? It was a peace offering. If you know anything of the geography of the area, uh, Phoenicia was this this city, and it was the Tyre, the capital, was out on a peninsula. And David owned all this land. And there's no place for them to go. There's no place for them to get more iron. They're out on a peninsula. And so what other option do they have? They said, we're going to make peace. We're going to make peace because we see the hand of God moving in David, and we'll, we'll be peaceful. We'll be part of his kingdom. The king of Tyre sent and built David a house. A mansion. It was a mansion. I mean, it was, big. it was big in today's day, not to mention how big it was back in that day. David gave himself to this presence of the Lord. I will not give myself rest until I find a resting place for the Lord. Do you know why we sleep? It just proves that we're not like God. I'm just joking with you. <laughs> Psalm 69, verse 9 through 10. It says, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Passion for your house, passion for Jesus has eaten me up. God, I am fully committed to contending. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. When you are given to contending for the kingdom of God, you are bound to get resistance. When you set yourself to the fullness of God, to running after him, to fasting and praying and reading and seeking him with all your heart, you are bound to get resistance. Your unsaved friends are going to say, why do you have to go to church all the time? No. You don't get it. I don't have to go to church. I want to go to church. Maybe you don't understand. I was glad when they said to me, I want to go up to the house of the Lord to praise the Lord. There is no place that I would rather be than here in your presence. There, there's, the, church becomes the most fun place for you to be. Worship becomes the most fun thing for you to do. You just There's nothing else. Hey, do you want to go to the football game? Nah, I'm going to church. But it's the football game. No, you don't understand. I get to join with the heavenly hosts, with the angels who have sung for millennial in dateless past. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in the morning there, we join our praises and we join with God to praise him. It's awesome. The Spirit of God comes. I come unglued. There's no place that I'd rather be. I'm not going to go to birthday parties or, or ball games or, or whatever else the world has to offer because Jesus is in the room. I want to be where he's at, wherever he's at. The reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen on me. We set ourselves to fasting and to prayer and to spending time with God. And even brothers and sisters in Christ are going to say, why are you doing that? Why are you wasting your time? Why are you giving all of this? You don't really have to give all of that. And why? Why would brothers and sisters in Christ try to stop us and try to pull us back? Because our life, our very life becomes a conviction that they're not doing what we're doing. We're not asking them to. This is just what God's called me to do. But when you see someone running after God, reading more than you are, praying more than you are, suddenly you're convicted and you think, oh. And so your response is normally like, hey, calm down a little bit, buddy. Don't get, uh, there, there's, a, there's a healthy side to not biting off more than you can chew right away, right? You go from zero hours a week to five hours a day, it's unsustainable. Maybe you need to go from zero hours a week to 15 minutes a day to 30 minutes a day. Slowly build yourself up. But listen, man, go after God. Go, go. Put your head down. Start to pray. Start to fast. And in 10 years when you look up, I love that line. In 10 years when you look up, See, far too often, because we're the microwave generation, we think things should happen instantaneously. I don't see it. I just prayed for two seconds. I don't see it. Right? The microwave heats things in 35 seconds. I don't see it. God can do things instantaneously, and sometimes he does. But sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he waits that our faith might grow. It's all for our own benefit. It's all for our own benefit. And so we have to commit to bearing the approach for living passionately for God. You know, if we, if we enter in knowing that we will get resistance, if we enter in knowing that we will get resistance, we will stand strong in the face of resistance. When resistance comes, we're just like, yeah. That doesn't matter. I'm still running after God. I know that you don't like what I'm doing, but I'm still running after God. I know that you don't like what I'm doing, but I'm still running after God. And honestly, this is really, they, they feel conviction at our dedication. And so all the, the other thing that you see is the world, those who are outside of the church, feel conviction when we live holy lives. When we set ourselves to live according to the Bible, they're convicted, they're convicted by the fact that we've chosen to live holy unto the Lord. And they don't like it. Modernism says that the Bible is a fairy tale. And so the, what you say to that modernist who says that the Bible is a fairy tale is, well, is Snow White banned in 42 nations around the world? The Bible's banned in nations around the world. I think it's way more than 42. Why? 
because there's a holiness that the Bible asks us to live in that people don't want to measure up to. So they want to get rid of the Bible. They want to go. They don't want to hear about it. Jesus is the only way. And that becomes offensive. And they say, no, we can't have that book here. Modernism says it's a fairy tale. It's banned. It's kicked out of schools. You can't bring it in. Don't bring it in. You can't read it. You can't pray. Stop saying the name of Jesus. Why? Because there's conviction that immediately comes because it's all real. It's all true. And it sets such a bar. Jesus. 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 I pray that today that as we as we go out of here, that we would be committed to contending for the intimacy of God. That we would be contending, that we would be committed to contending for the fullness of God in our life through intimacy. And that through this intimacy, we would begin to walk in the fullness of God. That we would begin to walk in all that God has for us. Above and beyond. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you. God, we give you glory. God, I pray that you would cause all of us, God, that you would stir in all of us a deep hunger, a deep passion to live for you. God, that we would read your word, that we would mind the depths of what it says, that we would do all that it says. God, that our lives would be poured out as an offering unto you. God, we give you our all. We give you our best this morning. And we say, God, have your way in us. God, cause us to be those who would lay hold of who you are. God, in the same way that the woman with the issue of blood pressed through the crowd and touched you and received power from you, God, let us be those who would press through. God, that we would commit to the process. I'm going to take the offering in a minute, but the Lord's given me uh, just a couple of words. And so, I just want to, I want to share those. Amity, the Lord uh, spoke to me while we were worshiping and just said that you are, you're going to receive a blessing from the Lord. The Lord's about to pour his spirit out on you and you're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to be overcome. And you're going to continue to just seek after him and as you continue to seek after him you're going to you're going to you're going to pass people that have been saved longer than you have and you're just going to enter into a deeper realm of who he is so just keep just keep running after him just keep seeking after him and and uh jessica the lord uh gave me a word for you and so i know a lot of history but the Lord, the Lord said that there's been disillusionment. That's the word that he gave me. There's been disillusionment, but that he's calling you afresh, that it's a fresh invitation, that what was before is under the blood, and that it's a new invitation to enter into him. 
to enter into who he is. And he's just, he's just waiting for you. And he's like, come. And where you've been disillusioned in the past, you're going to be fulfilled this time. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 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 Jesus. There are several ways to give here at Redeeming Love. Uh, you can give on our website, redeeminglovechurch.org. You can go there. There's a give. There's a give section. You can just click on that, fill out the information. There's information in the back, a Give Plus app. You can download that app to your phone, fill out the information, and you can set up recurring giving so that you give every week. You can give from Facebook. There's a donate button on Facebook. <laughs> uh, that's me delegating. That's me delegating. That's me delegating. Listen. You know what? I don't know the answer to that question. You don't have to know the answers. You don't need to know the answers in order to pray for people. You don't need to know the answers to, in order to see God heal people. You don't need to know the answers in, in order to see God comfort that person whose mom just kicked them out of the house. You don't need to know the answers. All you need to know is Jesus and that he loves them and that he wants them to be saved. That he loves them and that he wants them to be saved. Amen. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So listen, we started to talk about this. We're going to, I'm on slide three of eight. We'll finish this message next week. But listen, this week I will identify the fullness of God in my life. Maybe that's the box. This week I will. A couple boxes here on the back of your engage card. Maybe you need to this week, in your prayer time, in your quiet time, while you're spending time with Jesus, maybe you need to figure out what is the fullness of God in my life look like? What does the fullness of God in my life look like? And so the next one says, add fasting to a regular part of my lifestyle. We didn't get to that scripture today. That's the one that I checked. I knew the message. <laughs> I fast regularly, but I want to fast more. Fasting is a way that we can become to a more intimate place with Jesus. It's a way of entering into a deeper place of intimacy with Jesus so that we're able to walk in more of his power, so that we're able to walk in more of his anointing, so that we're able to walk in more of what he's doing because he won't pour out power aside from, from, from intimacy because pride grows there. He won't pour out power aside from intimacy because pride grows there. If we were to be able to walk in power without being intimate with Jesus, we would become very prideful very quickly. And Jesus doesn't want that because the word says that God resists the proud. And so the only way that we're going to be able to walk in the power of the anointing that Jesus wants for our life is to become more intimate with him. 
It's in the place of becoming more intimate with Jesus that we will move into places of more power and anointing where we'll be able to share the gospel and see people saved. See, you thought power and anointing and you thought miracle signs and wonders. It's about sharing the love of God and seeing people come to Christ. The signs and the wonders are just a a side benefit to show that what we're saying is true. Why did the miracle signs and wonders come? To prove that the word of God is true. Jesus said, if you do not believe me, believe me for the signs which I do. The signs are a side issue. Tongues is a side issue. (laughs) Pentecostals are burning all over the room. (sighs) Tongues is a side issue. Tongues is not the gift. It's the Spirit of God that's the gift. Tongues is a manifestation of the, 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 the fact that the Holy Spirit is on you. Healings. Healings is not the gift. Signs and wonders is not the gift. If I never see a miracle, if I never saw healing, I would still follow Jesus wholeheartedly my whole life. It's about Him. And the, the miracle signs and wonders, they're just a side benefit. Man, the next scripture is so good. Let's get ready to take communion. We have to, we have to end now. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Jesus. 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 So if you take that little tab and you push it down and then release it, the little cellophane will come back and then it's easier to open up the bread. And try not to open up the wine because you don't want to have to try not to spill it.